This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. The book of Matthew chapter 27. I said chapter 26. Flip over one page to chapter 27. I'm going to look at one verse in verse number 54. And then I'm going to turn to a couple of places, but I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to look up on the screen. But I want you this morning to look in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 54. The Bible says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, I find it interesting if you were to look at Mark chapter 15, verse 39. Mark chapter 15, verse number 39. Watch what the Bible says. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw when he cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, Matthew said when he saw the earthquake. But Mark says when he saw that he gave up the ghost. Now, let's see what Luke says in Luke chapter 23 and verse number 47. Luke 23, 47. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, Certainly this was a righteous Man. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what we call the synoptic gospels. Now, what that basically means is that each one of these writers, they tell similar stories and they tell them with similar wording and they tell them in similar order. And so they say that they basically give a synopsis of the stories there in the life of Jesus. When you come to Matthew 27, you are coming down to the final seconds, the final milliseconds of the earthly life of the Lord Jesus. His final words have been recorded. His final actions have been done. And His final moments are about to secede out of existence. And all of a sudden, before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John turn their attention to the tomb, when they take their eyes from the cross and go down eastward to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, they take all three of their eyesights and they stop on a centurion. Every single one of them say, now the centurion, now the centurion, now the centurion. Now it's interesting to me, a centurion was a man that was over a hundred Roman soldiers. He was a man that was, that was in charge. He was one that you didn't buck up against. And that's what his job was in Matthew 27. He was in charge of the battalion of people that were over the crucifixions and the execution of Roman enemies. And so whenever you think about that, this man is a leader. Number two, this man is probably very wealthy because you did not get to the, the point of being a centurion without your pay increasing. So this man is a leader. He is a wealthy man. But number three, the way that you become a Roman centurion is you've got to have some type of valorous act in battle. 
Now, let me explain how the Romans operate. There wasn't this mamby-pamby snowflake mess that you want to see up in Washington where they henpeck our soldiers that are out there giving their lives and they have all this stuff. You can't do this and can't do that. No, the way it was in Rome, the more brutal you were, the better off it was. And today, you think about a man that was a leader, he was wealthy, and he was brutal. And that's how he became a Roman centurion. Now, this man... That just a few minutes before was a part of them stabbing him in the side. Just a few minutes before, he was a part of them whipping him across the back. Just a few seconds before, he watched them place the crown of thorns and cheered and laughed. What took this man from cheering the crucifixion to stopping, bowing down and saying, truly, this was a righteous man and he was the Son of God. Matthew says this, when he saw. Mark says this, when he saw. Luke says this, when he saw. So here is my question this morning. What did the centurion see? What was it that changed his mind? What was it that took him from being a God hater to being one that looked up and said, this man had to be the son of the living God? What took him from being a pagan, a man that worshipped many gods, a man that worshipped many ways of life, a man that lived in a lot of sin to looking up and saying that right there is a righteous man. That right there is what I want my life to look at. It was something that he saw. Now you and I have senses. We have the eyes and we have the ears and we have the nose and we have feeling. And these things are the senses that God uses for us to experience the world around us. But here is what I'm going to tell you about God, the big, eternal, holy, righteous, magnificent God of all the ages. God has a way of taking over your senses. You say, what do you mean by that? I'll tell you what God will do when he gets ready to do something in your life. He'll take over your eyes and you'll start seeing stuff you've never seen before. You'll be walking down the way and something will catch your eye and it'll start to bother you. And you say, why am I seeing that? I've never paid attention to that. That's never bothered me before. God will take over your ear sockets and you'll start hearing stuff you've never heard before. All of a sudden, some preacher will be up a preaching and you used to just laugh and you used to just mock and you used to keep rolling by on social media and on television. But he says something at that moment, at that second, he took over your senses and now it's starting to settle down inside of you. Now it's starting to get down on the inside. He'll take over your nose and all of a sudden the things you used to get joy out of and the things that used to bring you joy in what you tasted, those things you can't get drunk anymore like you used to be able to get drunk. You can't get high anymore like you used to be able. The things you used to do, what happened? The Holy Ghost has taken over what you used to be and now He's trying to get you to experience a new way of existence. It's that exceeding abundant way of existence. Here is my question. What did that centurion see that changed his life? Let's see if what God did to this centurion, the Holy Ghost, may be doing to you. Number one, let's look at what Matthew says. Matthew says in verse number 54... Here's the first thing that they saw. The first thing the centurion saw is when he saw the effects of the earthquake. 
The Bible says, and when he saw the earthquake. Does that strike anybody else as odd? Last time I checked, you can't see an earthquake. You can't see what's happening. But you know what you can do? You can see the effects of that earthquake. Here's what happened on that crucifixion day. Man, that, that, that centurion is standing on an elevated place, a place he had worked to get up to, a place he had labored to reach, a place that he desired to go up to, and he had tried to get up to the top of that mountain. And can I just stop and say this? In the middle of an earthquake, the top of a hill ain't where you want to be. When the world gets to shaking on top, Ain't where you want to be. And this is what this guy said. He said, wait a second. That which I used to be able to stand surely on is now a rocking all around me. That which I used to be able to depend on and that which I used to labor for now, that the world around me is shaken and the world around me is in an upheaval. It's got me rethinking what I'm trying to found my life upon. Brothers and sisters, I remind you this morning, the world in which you live, live and you and I try to build our existence on. It is just one spiritual earthquake away from being unstable. You don't think it's unstable? This time last year, what did your life look like? I promise you, you didn't have the fear of this that you've got today. Three years ago on this Sunday, we didn't have near an idea what, what, what was about to happen. Social distancing was not even a thing. Wearing a mask in a bank was not even a thing. I'm telling you, the world has a way of shaking and making you re-guess what you're trying to stand on. Some of you try to stand on status. Some of you try to stand on wealth. Some of you try to stand on marriage. Some of you try to stand on what you used to be. Some of you try to stand on the fact that you're not that bad. Some of you try to stand on the fact that your mama went to church and you got baptized at one time. Here's what happens. When that world around you gets to shaking, you'll start saying, wait a second, was that baptismal certificate as much as I needed it to be? Was that job that I thought I had to have as much as I thought it should be? Is this marriage really going to help me in eternity? No. You know why? Because the earth is a quaking and the world around you is a shaking. The second thing that earthquake did is it changed his mind on the power of his weapons. Can I help you with something? A Roman gladius was a powerful weapon in battle. A Roman shield is a powerful weapon in battle. A Roman spear is a powerful weapon in battle. But when the earth is shaken, a Roman sword ain't going to do you a hill of beans. And a Roman shield is only going to protect you from pebbles. And a Roman spear ain't going to do you a lick of good. You know why? Because the weapons of our hands have no power when God is a trying to get your attention. Here's what I'm telling you right now. Money is a fine thing. You've got to have it. And the preachers that say that you don't have to have it evidently don't live in the world that you and I live in. Because the last time I checked, you don't buy a peanut butter sandwich on faith. You buy it with quarters and nickels. And if inflation keeps going up with your firstborn, here is my point. Money is a fine thing. But when the world around you is a shaking, you can't buy peanut 
peace. You can't buy joy. You can't buy happiness. You can't buy life. You can't buy all the things that we try to buy and we try to dole out our money when our kids are running away from God and we try to dole out our money when our marriage is a falling apart and we try to dole out our money when everybody is turning against us and you say, why can I not buy happiness? Why can I not buy joy? You know why? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are spiritual. But I remind you right now, that day when he looked, he said, you know what? My world around me is shaken. My weapons are useless. He looked up and the only person that was not affected by the storm was that dead Nazarene that was hanging on the cross. You see, he had given up the ghost and that earthquake did not affect him. He wasn't afraid of it. He wasn't worried by it. May I introduce you to the loving Lamb of God. May I introduce you to the lowly Nazarene. May I introduce you to the Galilean. May I introduce you to the Son of Mary. May I introduce you to the Son of God. May I introduce you to the Word which became flesh and dwelt among us. May I introduce you to the love of God. May I introduce you to the light of God. May I introduce you to the hope of God. May I introduce you to the loving Lamb of God. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And may I remind you, Biden, Trump, and all the other people up in Washington, they may be huff, they may be huffing and puffing about what Russia does, but there's a God in heaven that's got his arms folded and he laughs at what they do. And there may be people in this government that may be afraid of this and afraid of that, but there is a God in heaven that is not shaken and he is not quaking. And I promise you right now, he's not afraid and he's trying to show you the only thing you can rely on is the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me now, businessmen and women. There ain't nothing wrong with God blessing your business. But if you think for one second money's going to help you, you're wasting your time. A marriage made in heaven is a blessing. And I don't care if you're on your first marriage, your fourth marriage, your fifth marriage. It doesn't matter. Here's what does matter. You can't build your life on a marriage. You know why? Because death takes us all and problems come and go. The one thing you can build your life on is Jesus Christ. I love Easter and I love Christmas. You know why? Because there's people that come to the church that won't come any other time of the year. And there's a lot of preachers that'll badmouth you for doing that. I'm glad you're here today. Can I tell you why I'm glad you're here today? It gives me the opportunity to tell you one more time. There is a way to heaven. There's only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's not mad at you. He's not upset at you. He doesn't want you to go out of here thinking you're not good enough to be saved. You're not good enough to get right. Honey, you're just bad enough to get saved. You're just wrong enough to get right with God. Don't you go out of here busted up, messed up, and confused. I don't care what a preacher's done. I don't care what a church has done. I don't care what anybody's done that has rocked your world and shaken your life. You lift your eyes above a preacher, lift your eyes above a church, lift your eyes above this world, and look at the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone, and He's the only one that matters. When he saw the effects, he said, man, it does me no good to be a centurion if I'm not like Him. Number one, when he saw the effects of the earthquake, then you flip over to Mark, and Mark says this, when he saw his interaction and his encounter with death. Mark made this statement. Mark says, when he saw him yield the ghost and die, at that moment, 
He said, this man is God Almighty. Now, what in the world is that talking about? Here's what that's talking about. That man, that centurion, he'd been a part of hundreds of crucifixions, maybe thousands. He'd seen people when they die, some died mad. Some died sad. Some died crying. Some died angry. But you know what they all did? When death came a-knocking, they all died when death wanted them to die. I don't have any idea, but one of, the, uh, one of the, the pagan gods of the Roman world was the god of death. And there is, a, there is a belief that this man felt the chill. If you've ever been in a room when somebody dies, you know there is a feeling that will come over you when you are in that room. And I don't know what that is, but if you're around death enough, you'll realize when somebody is about to die. And I wonder if that centurion understood what that feeling was because he'd seen hundreds Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people die. And here's what happened. He felt that icy chill roll up his spine as the grim reaper walked across Golgotha's hill. And this is what that man said. Yeah, I guess he is a good guy, but he's about to go the way that everybody that ever gets on that cross goes. As the grim reaper walked up that, that hillside, he got to the base of that cross. He crawled up to the top of that cross. He took his long, bony, chilly, icy fingers of death. And when he whipped a rapid around the neck of the Lord Jesus Christ and he wrapped it and gripped it tight what he realized he could only take it so far you know why he had met the neck of omnipotence he had met the only neck that he had no power over he could not crush the windpipe of the Lamb of God here's what Jesus said he said death you get out of the way and I'll let you know when I am ready for you you don't have power over me I have got power over you the Lord said I still got something to say and the death angel said what do you have to say and before Jesus Christ my God I feel church of God right now he said before I lift my head I want to make a couple of statements number one I want to look up and say father forgive them for they know not what they do then he made this statement he said before I go angel of death I want you to know one thing it is finished I'm the last person you'll ever have power over that is in me and the death angel said, all right, now what? Jesus said, I don't need you right now. I don't need death to take my spirit. The Bible says he bowed his head and he yielded up the ghost and he died. The centurion looked up and said, that man just faced death head on and told death what to do. He said, I've met a lot of people, but I ain't never met anybody that has the power over death. Can I help somebody in here? I'm going to talk about the one thing nobody ever ought to talk about on Easter. You're going to die one day. You will die one day. The day is going to come when death walks into your room and it's going to take its long, chilly, bony fingers and it's going to wrap it around your throat. It's going to happen. It's going to happen to the young and it's going to happen to the old. And I remind you right now, there is only one person that can help you in that moment and it is not Harry Krishna. You know why? Because Harry Krishna is still buried in India. It is not Confucius. You know why? Because Confucius is still buried in China. It is not any of the great 
religious leaders like Muhammad because he's still buried in the great green dome in Medina, Saudi Arabia. It is not anybody like Muhammadis that is buried in Egypt, the great Jewish writer. You know why? Because they've got no power over death. But right now, if you were to ha- hop on a United jet and take a triple seven over the Atlantic Ocean, we'll fly down over Great Britain, we'll fly down over the Mediterranean, we'll land in Tel Aviv, Israel. We'll get on a bus in Tel Aviv, Israel. We'll head down 45 minutes south. We'll march into the city of Jerusalem. As we get inside the glorious city of Jerusalem, we'll go over the Temple Mount. We'll make our way to the northern section of town. We'll look at the little scully hill called Golgotha. And there the tour host will say, that is the hill upon which the Lamb of Glory died. And people will weep and people will cry. But that little Arab man, he'll say, no, no, no. Do not weep because this is not the end of the story. You'll go to station number seven on the way called the Via Dolorosa. And when you get to that seventh station, you'll find, he'll look inside of that tomb. He'll say, now in that tomb right there, that's where they laid the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people will be weeping and people will be crying. Now he's going to say this, before we leave this garden, I want you to poke your head inside of that garden and look and see who you see on that stone slab. You'll poke your head inside of that garden and look behind the iron bars that the crusaders and those that now run that that, that garden tomb look at. You look through that and you'll see nothing but an empty slab. You know why? Because he is not here. He is risen. He's got the power of a death. Death had no power at the crucifixion. Death had no power on day one. Death had no power on day two. Death had no power on day three. It had no power then. It has no power now. And there's only one person that'll help you when you get to the river of death and except ye be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. Listen to me now. You can serve whatever God you want to in this life. I ain't worried about what happens to you in this life. I'm worried about what that God does to you in the next life. I ain't so much worried about who you serve in this life. You'll take it up with God at the judgment seat. But who you serve in this life determines which judgment seat you go to. Because there's only one God that had the power to break the fingers of death. Oh God, I just I say one thing. I've been in rooms before with people that were not born again. And I watch what happens when death enters that room. I've watched what happens when it wraps that cold hand around their neck. I've watched what happens when the fear hits that face and it's all over. But I've also been in the room with the saints of God who've walked with Christ and who've lived with Christ and had their heart in the hand of Jesus Christ. It's that same fear. It's that same feeling of all of us standing there as that body labors to take those breaths, as that body labors to make sure that that breath stays in that body. Death walks up to that that body, but before death can put its cold icy hand around the neck of all, around the neck of that child, around the neck of that sheep, somebody else enters into that room. Honey, there's a piece that'll hit your head all the way down to the bottom of your feet. It'll come through your head. It'll hit your heart. It'll hit the bottom of your feet. You'll have goosebumps from the top to the bottom. You know why? Because the good shepherd has just come for his sheep and the chief shepherd has just come for his sheep and the holy shepherd has just come for his sheep. And you know what happens? Before death has power, before death takes over. The Lamb of God says, this is my child. Come and enter into the joy of our Lord. And you're here today and may the Holy Ghost take your eyes 
and let you see what's going to happen when you die. What is your encounter with death going to look like? What's it going to be like? I ain't looking forward to dying. I certainly hope I live a long life. If I don't find a house soon, it's going to be a lot shorter than I thought it would be, but it's, I'm a hoping I have a long life. I ain't looking forward to dying, but I sure enough ain't worried about it. Because I met a man almost 18 and one half years ago, and his name was Jesus Christ. And he took care of my life, and he takes care of my eternity. Now I'm done. I promise you, I'm closing my Bible. But there's a third thing, and I'm going to give it to you so fast it's going to make your head spin. Number three, Luke just makes a generic statement. He says this. He says, when he saw the things that were done. Number three, when Luke saw everything that transpired. You know what he did? He looked at the whole event. He looked at the earthquake. He looked at him yield up the ghost. He looked at how kind and compassionate he was. He looked at how he forgave the people. He took everything that was going on and he was not hard-headed. And he said, there's only one conclusion I can come to. That's got to be God. Can I ask you a question? Why are you so hard-headed? You're looking around at everything happening in your life. And you keep making a little statement like this. That's got to be a coincidence. That's got to be a coincidence. You pray and say, God, if you'll show me, and something happens, and you say, well, that's got to be a coincidence. Beloved, there's no such thing as coincidence. There's only one hand at play, and it's the hand of omnipotence. What are you looking around in your life at? What is it that's happening in your life? There are people that are here today and you're looking back over the course of your journey and I want you to stay with me. Don't let the, don't let the holiness of the moment slip away from you now. You're looking at all this stuff that's falling apart. What do you honestly think God's trying to get you to see? We go through the motions and our lives are falling apart and people are leaving and this is happening and that. And we look and we say, well, I guess I'll just... God is trying to take over your senses to get you to see something about Him. When you look around at everything that's happening in your life, what are you seeing? Honey, there are no coincidences. God don't operate like that. In this moment, could it be that the events of your life are leading up to this moment? That you can have a head-on collision with the God of eternity. And that you can have a checkup before you have a breakup. That you can get it right before your life is put into shambles. You may be a child of God. You may be saved and you've backslid on God and you're here today because of mama or daddy or grandma or grandpa. You're not here today because mama or daddy or grandma or grandpa. You are here today because the God of heaven put that in your heart. You could have come up with a thousand excuses, fake the flu, come up with any reason why you wouldn't come today, but God wouldn't let you 
you're here today and you've never been saved. You've never been born again. You've never made it right with a holy God. And you say, I don't know if today's the day. What more is it going to take? I'm telling you, God's putting it in place to show you.